Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is Rod Phillips from Two Vest Properties. If you want to increase your income through real estate, enjoy your life more, and quit your nine to five, you should be listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast with my good friend, B. Koo. Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Real Estate Lab podcast. In this lab, we decode the stories, secrets, and skills of the most brilliant minds in real estate investing, then turn their wisdom into practical advice and knowledge that we can use to boost our income. And now, let's turn it over to our host, V. It's a good day to be alive and to invest in real estate. My name is V. Koo, and you're listening to my show, the Real Estate Lab podcast. Hey, just a quick announcement. This week, I am releasing two episodes on the same day. Beside this regular program that you are listening to right now, I am also releasing a pilot episode of the podcast in Vietnamese. If you understand the language, hey, why not go over and check it out also? All right, in today's program, I have one of my best friends on as a guest. He is swimming upstream. This guy is doing something that most people would tell you to stay away from. I was curious to find out what exactly he's doing and the reasoning behind it. So I asked him to join me as a guest. Plus, since I hadn't spoken to him in about seven to eight years, you know, podcasting is just a fun way to catch up. My guest today is Roderick Phillips. He started investing in real estate just a few months after I did in 2008. He had done flips, wholesaling, and short sellings. You know, if you have just started doing this real estate investing in the last few years, I bet you haven't heard of that term before. I know I'm describing him like he's some old-time real estate investor, but trust me, Rod is still super young. Rod is currently investing in the Midwest, specifically the D, the 313, D-Town. Do you know where yet? Is Detroit, the Motor City, Michigan. You will hear his thought process and insight of why he invests there and what he's seeing in that market. Rod is very active on LinkedIn, so you'll be able to find him there. Or just in case you are interested in following up with him, just send him an email at smilingmagicianestates at gmail.com. Don't worry, you do not have to write it down. It's going to be available in the show notes. Before we get rolling, don't forget to join our free Facebook community at www.eastwestventures.co slash AIMS. Also, if you want to chat anything real estate or you just want to tell me what you like to see more on the show, hey, why not schedule a call with me? You can do that at www.callwithv.com and that's V with two E's. Last but not least, podcast algorithm is unknown to everyone except for the few that work at Apple. So the only thing as podcaster that we can count on are the numbers of subscribers, the numbers of five stars ratings, and the reviews that we have. If you haven't done so yet, it would mean the world to me if you could go over to iTunes and hit that subscribe button. Leave me a five star rating if you think I deserve it, and also write a review. 
Hey, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Lab podcast. I have an honor here to uh, be talking to one of my good friends and the longest friends in the real estate game I've known for, I've known him for 10 years now or more. He has been really active in the Colorado Spring market in uh, Colorado. Welcome to the show, Rod. Hey, Bees. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. No problem, man. You know, we got to talk a little bit a few weeks ago. You know, a, a breakfast meet turned into a six hours conversation. And that's why <laughs> <laughs> that's why I wanted to have you come on as a guest here. But for our audience who haven't uh, known you, uh, they don't know you at all. Let me uh, take them back a little bit so they know your, your profile and where you're coming from. So let's turn back the clock. Let's say, you know, tell me about the time when you were growing up in, in your household. What was it like when you were eight? Oh, let's see. So I grew up on the south side of Chicago. Pretty rough. Pretty rough south side of Chicago. And those gangs, violence, things like that. But I was pretty protected by my mom and grandma. They, they shielded my brother and I from those things. Uh, went to a private school there. A private school's in Chicago to me are very similar to the public schools here in Colorado, in my opinion, just to give you kind of a reference point. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, you know, when I was eight, you know, I went to a Catholic school, a Catholic private school there in Chicago. You know, I grew up, I said, on the south side of Chicago. And yeah, you know, not, I wouldn't say not the best environment, but a very loving environment, you know, very family oriented environment, but, you know, not the not the best though in terms of uh, the location. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And and I understand the South Side of Chicago is a rough part, and it still is to to this day. Yeah, yep, yep, absolutely, yep, it is. But I'm but you know I'm I'm glad that uh, my mom made the decisions that she did because it allowed me to be in the position that I am in today. Okay, so she, so your family put you in uh, private school, Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Were you in private school up until high school? No, no. So, so we moved out here in ninety ninety six. Moved to 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 Denver, Colorado, mm -hmm. and uh, then I went to public school. I went to public high school in Denver. So I went to Kennedy down Kennedy mm -hmm. High School for three years, and then I transferred and graduated from. Lincoln High School. Yeah. So, uh, but before that, you know, so from first grade to eighth grade, I was in mm -hmm. that private school, you know, the Catholic school in Chicago, St. Helena, you know, they're closed down now, but you know, that's where I went. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So how's it, how does it uh, shape your, your um, experience, let's say, when you were going from a Catholic school in Chicago to a high school here in Denver, did you have a um, mindset change or your friends change? What were you like in high school and did it help you in terms of becoming like an entrepreneurial spirit or, you know, becoming an investor now? Yeah, absolutely. So coming from where I grew up to Denver, Colorado, it showed me and it taught me that there's a whole lot more out there, you know, uh, where I was living in Chicago, it, it is different. It's different than Colorado. You know, it's, it's different. So, you know, it just showed me that there's a lot 
out there to the world and it kind of opened my eyes up to the world and uh, you know it just made it just made me want to do more I guess it, it presented with presented me with more so I got to see more and I'm like oh okay so there's it's a whole lot more out here you know and I can do a lot more and I did so what got you um interested in investing in real estate you know you you coming out here you see a lot more to do definitely different than Chicago and where you were growing up you know how how did that uh even come to your mind that hey I have a lot more things to do now maybe let me just buy some houses <laughs> so that's kind of interesting too so I went to college Colorado Springs I went to UCCS I graduated from there after college I had a few options so one of my options was to go to China to model another option was to um, go to North Carolina to work and wait wait So you you had an opportunity to go to China to become a model? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So why didn't you take it, man? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I you know, China's a long ways away. You know, I was nervous. I was nervous about leaving, leaving the family, leaving my mom and my brother and things like that. But it's an opportunity that I look back on like, man, I wish I could have squeezed that in somehow, some way. You know, because that would have been pretty fun. I'm fun to go to China to model. Yeah, man. You know, you could, you know, maybe you know, you became super famous. Then I, I'm a supermodel. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, and that's what my agent said. He said, you know, I would have been, you know, he said I would have been loved over there in China. He said I would have been. He said I would have done pretty well. Is what he said. Yeah. So yeah. So that's what I did. So I had the options of. You know, between China and going to work in North Carolina, so and and I made the choice to work in North Carolina because this was with all my college buddies. You know, all of us was going to be in an apartment together, uh-huh. and we was all in this apartment, and we were working and doing jobs. You know, it was just a fun summer with just a, with all your college buddies. It was, it was fun. So that being young too, you know, it's another reason why I chose that. And I don't and I don't regret that choice either because that's how I ultimately got into real estate. I was at a customer's house. And you know he was on the phone, and you know was a, he was a, he was a black guy. He was on the phone, and, mm-hmm. and and he was speaking Spanish very fluently. And I was like, yeah. wow, you know, I was pretty impressed by it. And so I asked him, I said, you know, so what is it that you do? You know, he had a beautiful home. You know, beautiful. This house was beautiful. So I asked him, you know, what is it that he do? And he said, real estate. And I and at the time I knew nothing about real estate, nothing at all. And he said. Uh, He said, man, you should look into getting into it. So we had this conversation. We veered off from my job. So at this job, I got paid by the job. So it was a hundred bucks every job, and it took the jobs took about an hour. So me spending four hours with him, I missed out on quite a bit of money that day, but it was worth it. Just all yeah. the hours that he and I was able to use him as a reference and things like that. You know, to contact him and for advice and. And things, and that's how I got into it. And then from there, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, I told her I was like, uh, I was, I was telling her that I was interested in this book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, it was at the Barnes and Noble. So we were at, it was at Barnes and Noble, and uh, you know, I saw the Rich Dad Poor Dad book, and you know, I was debating on whether or not I should get it. And then my 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 girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. 
told me to go ahead and get the book. You know, and I was like, nah, I don't think I want to get it. And it's like, no, get it. I'm going to get, you know, so it's like, I'm going to get it for you. So then she got it for me. And then that kind of opened up everything else. You know, I got three, four more rich dad, poor dad books. And then just floodgates were open after that. So she got you down this rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she did. Yeah, she, 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 <laughs> she did by, by encouraging me to get that book. You know, it's, it's crazy how just, you know, that book, that book's a great book. You know, I think a lot of real estate investors have read that book as an intro. But as we know, a lot of people, they read those books, but then they don't take the action. They don't move forward. So what did you do to take action and um, how did you get started? Yep, so after that, you know, lots of reading. And then after that, I was like, okay, so what do I need to do? Like, what, what's my next step? So I joined, I think in the Rich Dad Poor Dad, one of the books that might have mentioned joining like your local real estate group. One of the books that I read mentioned that it might have been, uh, what's the guy from Woodland Park? Richard Roop? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it might have been one of his books. I can't, I can't exactly remember whose book it was, but somebody's book mentioned joining the local real estate investment group. And then I researched ours and I found it and I found Carrie. And then I started attending meetings. I started meeting people. And, you know, that's where I met you and some other people. And then I did that for a while, probably about three, three, four months. And then I decided to join the coaching there. And then after I joined the coaching, that led to my very first deal. And then after I did that first deal, you know, just the deals just kept doing it. So for those of you listening, you don't know what Carrie is. Carrie is the Colorado Association of real estate investment or investors and um, the club has since uh, been sold to someone else the original coach that Rod is mentioning no longer is with that club yeah and so so now Rod what was your first deal let's let's um, tell the audience a little bit about that first deal (laughs) so my first deal I actually found door knocking and I door knocked. Yeah, I door knocked for about four months, four or five months. I door knocked. And this was, this was during a time, you know, remember this is during a time of, uh, you know, all the foreclosures, all the short sales and things like that. And then at that time also, you know, the rules were a little different in the way that we did things. So I door knocked and then I finally found this lady who was about to be, her, her house was about to be foreclosed on, I think the following week and uh, when I knocked on the door I couldn't even get my elevator speech out and she just was like I'm done and I was like huh and she's like, I'm <laughs> you know I, I was I'm thinking that she's upset with me you know like or something and then uh, she said I'm done I'm done with this house and I'm, I'm just ready to walk away and I said oh, man you know I'm like whoa, whoa you know you know hold on, don't walk away because you know to mess up your credit and things like that and I said you know can we can we talk about this? What you can do? What some of your options are? And she said, "Yeah, yep." She said, "Show up tomorrow." I forget the time. She said, "But she said, show up tomorrow at this time, and uh, we can talk." And I showed up. You know, so we talked. We worked out a short sale with the bank, and I um, ended up double closing that house. And I and, and the way that I did short sales, you know, like a lot of people that went through carry that did short sales, you know, we're always honest with the homeowners. We told them exactly what was happening. We told them what we were doing, so there was like no secret sauce going in you know what i mean nothing mm-hmm. yeah and 
And now, Rod, let's clarify a little bit because, you know, this was in 0809 and uh, the term short sales is not a popular term now. Back then, everyone was talking about short sales. So can you explain a little bit what a short sale is? Yeah. Yep. So short sales is basically where you're underwater in your house, so you can't sell it for what you owe on it. So let's say that you you owe 200000 but the market crashed or recession or whatever, you refinanced a bunch, whatever, and now your house is worth a hundred. So the short sale is when you negotiate with the bank and the bank takes, takes less than what is owed on the house. So the house is worth a hundred, you owe two, 200, the bank agrees to take 80 or 90 or a hundred. So that's what a short sale is. Right. And it may not be relevant now. However, as you know, we're heading toward a, a recession and we're due for one, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. two years now. And, you know, I feel like it could happen next year. It could happen next year. We don't know when it's going to happen, yeah. but when it, when it's here, you will feel the impact and oh, you will hear this term a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe short sale, so too. Short sale will come back in a big wave. Yeah, I believe so too. Yep, I believe I believe short sales will come back. You know, and especially in some of these markets like the you know, like the West, you know, like our market. We talk to a lot of natives here, you know, they say they can't afford to buy a house, lots of natives. So to me that just kinda of says that somehow, some way things are out of whack, you know. And that's just my mm-hmm. opinion about it. Yeah. Yeah, we have a lot of um new money from out of town coming in and we have a lot of new job. Growth has been great, you know, in the last five, six years, especially after they uh, decided to legalize marijuana here yeah. in our state. You know, the first wave of people coming in were just for that purpose, you know, to smoke pot legally. But then the second wave and the third wave, just since that first one, have been working professionals just coming in here because the job growth here has been tremendous. Yeah. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So you found this lady... And by door knocking, you just, you know, go out and knocking on people's door who are in foreclosure and needed help, right? So you found that that first one, then you double close, which just means that you had this deal under contract. Then you found a buyer and you had a contract to sell with the buyer. You closed in your first transaction so double close, you have the contract with this lady to buy, and then you have a contract you sell with someone else, and all the magic happened in escrow, and that's what a double close is. And you're in the middle. Yep. yep, yep. You so get that's the what spread. I did. So I double close. Right. Yep. Yep. So I double closed this house. I made about that's about fifty grand that I made, which is pretty good for your first deal, you know. Uh, and I got deal of the month. I carry that month also, you know, for, for that deal. And it was, it was, it was crazy because, you know, it was tough finding a buyer at that time, you know, because the market was going down, people were scared and things like that. And, um, I sold it to a guy who owned the restaurant. He bought it cash. He was going to buy it for his mom. Um, he was going to fix it up and, you know, put his mom into it. And that house right now is worth 400 plus. Um, and I sold it for one fifty. Is what that guy bought it from me from. Right, and I want you to explain a little bit more 
on why you did what you did so that people listening don't feel like you took advantage of this lady uh, oh, because yeah. of the situation. And you obviously make 50000 but she yeah. she lost her house. If you didn't help her and you didn't show up, what would have happened? Yeah, so if I didn't, so if I didn't help her, her house was going to go to foreclosure. She was going to have that on her credit report. And the bank was also going to go after her for the judgment, too. So the difference in the and what was owed and what they took, they would have gone after her for that. So also, so what I did also, so I did a lot of things for this lady. One thing that I did is I, I delayed the foreclosure even longer. So remember I said that she was a week away from foreclosure? Right. So what I did was for her, I drugged this out. You know, I said, I said, I understand your situation. I know what's going, you know, I understand it's a tough time, you know, losing your home and things like that. So how about we drag this out as long as possible so that you can stay in your house as long as possible. And while you're staying here, you build up cash, you build up capital and you use that to move into your next place. So I drug this thing out for as long as I could. I drug it out. Four, five months I drug it out and I had the loss mitigator. Oh man, he like he was he was on my butt about closing this thing. And he was like, So what's up with the buyer? You know, it's always he was always like, okay, so the buyer coming through and and uh kind of delay him, you know, kind of give him some type of spill to delay him, you know, to kind of push it out a little bit longer. And then uh, you know, finally got it closed. But so that's what would have happened. She would have had that judgment on her. So that's so another thing I did with the loss mitigator, I had him right in the you know, and all the documents at the end, I'm drawing a blank on the term, but the term, the, you know, where you, where they settle, where they settle and they wipe the slate. Settle the yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So where they settle, well, so we had them write that in there. And so they didn't get a judgment against them. They called it even. They said, you know, you don't owe us anything. So that was another thing that I did. So this time around, my opinion is this time around, Banks aren't going to be that nice. I think banks just got hit in the mouth last time. They didn't have systems in place. They didn't for all these foreclosures, short sales and things like that. But I think this time around, they'll have systems in place for foreclosures to get them done quickly. They'll have systems in place to go after people, you know, for the for the the money that they own somehow, some way. They'll, that's just my opinion. That's what I think they'll do this time around. But but yeah, that's what I did for this lady. You know, I tried to help help her out as much as I could, and. Uh, you know, it was just a situation where her husband had uh, got sick, and that's what I found during short sales. It was, you know, most of the time it was where people got sick, or they lost their jobs, or things like that. You know, and and I'm just the kind of person, you know, I'm about helping people, not trying to get over on people. You know, there's way too much money to be made in real estate to have to get over on somebody. Right. Yeah. And just so you understand, the IRS consider. Forgiven debt on unpaid debt as uh, income. So the the debt that was forgiven, if bank didn't claim that it was um, satisfied and, and paid in full, they could have issued a ten ninety nine, or they could have uh, came after her for the deficiency judgment. And that's what Rod is talking about here. Yeah. All right. Let's let's take a. Fast forward here, and we were talking about the, re- the recession is coming and, and what you think will happen to the banks this time around. Yeah, definitely, because you know now that they have system in place, they will not be that uh, that generous like they did <laughs> <Yeah>. last time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. so what's your investment strategy now? What are you doing now? 
So my investment strategy now is a lot of buy and hold. So our mentor, you know, Bill Bronchak, I remember when the when all this was going on in 0809, I I never forget it. He said he stood up there and he said that everything's a fire sale right now. And he was saying, you know, buy as much as you can, that he had never seen anything like this since he's been investing in real estate. So that's stuck with me. That's always stuck with me. And I know his strategy was a lot of buying holes. And also Tim's strategy too, you know, it's a lot of buying holes. And I remember them saying that a lot of the wealth is made when you buy and hold real estate. So during that time, it's hard to believe that you could buy houses in Denver, Colorado for thirty, forty thousand dollars. Like I remember there were whole neighborhoods out in uh was that Adam City out that way, you know, where you could buy. You could buy for thirty, forty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars. And these houses today are worth three hundred plus. So now what I'm doing is I'm buying and holding in Detroit. And because to me, I'm looking at Detroit, I'm uh I'm looking at these prices in Detroit, and to me, it's looking a lot like Denver did with these prices. Now, granted, Denver's, Denver's economy is a little different. Denver has a lot of tech, and Detroit's kind of, they're trying to get there with the tech. They're not there yet. They're trying to get there. But um, So, yeah, that's what I'm buying now. I'm buying in Detroit. So, that's interesting. A lot of people are staying away from Detroit. And you're going in and buying in Detroit. Absolutely. Can you walk me through your thought process in the beginning when you uh, decided to go there to that market? Yeah. Yep. So the reason for me initially, the reason for me was my brother. So my brother, uh, he was the one that got me to invest in, into, into Detroit. He kept telling me that I need to buy there and I need to buy there. But I finally did. Uh, so I finally started looking into buying there. You know, I'm glad that glad I did. You know, I could look at the prices and I looked at what you can get in rent, and you know, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's pretty good return on your investment there. So, what kind of prices are you buying now? I'm buying. Let's see, the highest that I bought at was twenty five, and the lowest that I bought at was seven thousand. Seven thousand. I I got that one at the auction. Now let's let's talk this through the. $25,000 property, was it the one where you have been having a hard time trying to evict a tenant? Yes, yes, it's that one. So so this one, so this one I bought from a wholesaler. So this is my very first property there in Detroit. It had the tenant in it. And I was like, oh, you know, okay, so I need to, you know, my mindset is, is I need to take action. I need to, you know, I need to do as much due diligence as possible, but not sit on the fence forever. So I did my due diligence on this house. You know, I looked at the rent rolls. She was paying rent. So sometimes the rent was on time. Sometimes it was half at the beginning of the month, half at the end of the month. But the rent was always there when I looked at the rent rolls. How much was she paying? She was paying six fifty, which is for this house was about a hundred and fifty bucks less than what you could get for it. Okay, so market is around eight hundred. Yep, for that area. Did- yep, yep, about eight hundred bucks. So did you have to fix anything after paying 25K? Yeah, yeah. So so that's nothing with Detroit. Detroit's kind of tricky because you got to have a very good team there in Detroit. But we can, we can touch base on that a little later if you want. So what I had to fix there, so I had to fix the roof. I got a brand new roof put on. I had to put a brand new HVAC system in. I had to fix the ceiling where the ceiling was leaking. There's some plumbing work 
that needs to be done. Not to, nothing too major, just old pipes that has to be replaced or replace those pipes. Other than that, that's about it, man. Just, you know, paint and, you know, so this rental is in pretty good condition except for the, the roof. Mm-hmm. Overall, how much would you say you have spent on it, that house? Overall, probably about, after it's all said and done, I'll spend about 10 grand. We'll call it 15. 15. Oh, 15. Plus the 25. Yeah, we'll Yep, so you're yep, 40 yep, into so. it, right? Yep, yep, and yep. So I'm 40 into this. Are you bringing in the market right now at 800 or are you still doing 650? No, still doing 650 and I'm still trying to get this tenant out of the house. Okay. So we're talking. How long has it been? Six months? What we, it's been, yeah, six months. So, and, and it'll end up being longer than six months. It'll end up being at least, at least eight months because. So with this tenant, I don't know if she's a professional at this or what her deal is, mm-hmm. but she's drugged this out. You know, she's drugged this out. So in March, she didn't pay rent. So Detroit has, has these, has these laws and rules and things like that on, on landlords because they're trying to crack down on slum landlords, which I get because they're, you know, you get people to buy there and then they, you know, put people into these raggedy homes, unsafe homes and things like that. So Detroit's trying to clean that up, so I understand it. But then at the same time, it hurts good investors like myself with some of these tougher rules. You know what I mean? She paid rent. She paid rent in March. She didn't pay rent. So she didn't pay rent in February. She paid rent in March. So she gave money for March. And that that money in March was for March and February. Okay. And she didn't. Yeah. So she didn't pay all of it. She only paid a portion of it. So then we signed a new lease in March. And then um, later on, she reached out and she said, hey, that money they gave you, that was for March and April. And I was like, no, you know, hold on. That's not for March and April. You owe it for February. What do you mean that's for March and April? You know, so then, um, um, you know, went back and forth on that. And, you know, eventually we had to take her, took her to court. So we took her to court. She ended up paying the difference, you know, that the rest of what she owes, she ended up paying that. But then after that, she hired a free attorney, you know, so and this is what I was saying, you know, this is, I get that if you're a slumlord, but when you're a good investor and, you, and you're trying to do right by your tenants, that doesn't put a good taste in your mouth, you know, so she yeah. ended up hiring a free attorney. She hired a free attorney. So, so she had a, she had a free attorney and I'm paying for attorney. So we agreed on things. We agreed on certain things. She, she wanted everything in the house to be replaced you know she was just making things up a broken window here a broken window there, and these things weren't broken she made up something you know that it was missing the bathroom door this is something that she had put in the agreement that the bathroom door had to be replaced and then once that was replaced along with these other things then she would pay rent i sent pictures of the house with the bathroom door on it and then when i sent the pictures to my attorney who sent it to her attorney then she scratched it off and was like oh you know now the the door is broken you know the door handle's broken you know, so she was just making things up, you know, and just trying to pay me. I was a slumlord, just trying to get out of paying rent, basically. So her and her attorney drugged that whole negotiation process out for about three months. It doesn't take three months to negotiate on what needs to be fixed in the house. You know what I mean? Right. So my attorney, my attorney would reach out to there, to her attorney and whatever was happening on their end, they just wouldn't get back, you know, and, and during that time, also her attorney also. He went on vacation for like two weeks or something like that. You know what I mean? So that, that was another hang up or whatever. So then what ended up happening was, you know, so then she signed the agreement. I signed the agreement. And then 
her and her attorney, the screw attorney, they ended up parting ways. Her attorney, I'm guessing, said some, you know, he couldn't work with her or something like that because she was trying to back out of signing the agreement, you know, because I had agreed to fix the things that she had on the list. You know, once we had everything signed, she said, oh, you know, that's not my signature on there. So she's, that's what I mean. Like she has to be a professional at this, you know. So now one of the things that we put into the agreement was that if she kicks anybody off the property that, you know, now we can go to court and she kicked someone off the property. One of the, one of the contractors, she kicked them off the property because that's what she was doing before. I was sending contractors over and she would kick them off the property saying that they couldn't work on the property, you know, that they had to be licensed or and these people were licensed. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and so the separate group, the separate group of contractors that was just sent out there, she did the same thing to them. And these people were licensed. So then now, now we're going back to court. Her 30, so my attorney gave her the, the 30 days, 30 day, um, notice to quit. So that 30 day notice is up October 11th, which is a Friday. And then that Monday, he'll file for, you know, the, you know we'll go to court, which is another two to three weeks. So now that puts us into November. Yeah. And then after, yeah. And then after that, it'll be another about 10 days or so, you know, so she'll be there. She'll be there for almost eight months, you know, not paying rent, not paying rent. And if she does end up paying rent, now she owes 650 times eight and she'll have to pay that all at one time. You know, it's not a portion type thing. It seems like. It's almost like she is going to be able to get free rent for almost an entire year. Almost, almost right? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the risk that yeah. um, we have to take as investors because cities like Detroit or states that are tenant-friendly, you will typically run into that situation sooner or later. You just have to kind of eat the cost and, and consider is. Uh, that as your um, cost of operating your business. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, because you do have a absolutely. huge upside here. It could happen, right? So that's why you you ultimately went back for more and picked up two more properties from auction. Oh, absolutely. You know, because it's a risk that I'm willing to take, but I would do things differently this time around. You know, so like I said, you know, I had to buy that one just to get things moving. Because once I bought that one, that's how I found my contractor. That's how I found my attorney. That's how I found, that's how I started to sort out property managers and things like that. So yeah, so, so from that one, I realized, okay, so this might sound crazy, but 25 for that house was a little bit too high. You know, I, I shouldn't have paid 25 for it. <laughs> you know, I stood up. And you shouldn't have renewed uh, the lease either. It's, oh, absolutely not. Absolutely. I should not have renewed that lease, you know, but, that's just kind of, I made the mistake. We know that this is a business, you know, and sometimes I veer off from that and I, and I, and I look, you know, I get a little personal with things, you know, and I know better. We know better as investors, you know, that you, that you have to treat it as a business at all times, you know. So when I was out there and I got to talk to her, she gave me this big sob story. She gave me the sob story, you know, she had, you know, she about her having a kid and then single mom and things like that, you know, and, I was raised by a single mom, you know, my mom and grandma. So I'm like, okay, you know, anything I can do to help, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so I renewed the lease and then came back to bite me in the end, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, she, and Rod, you know, not to sound racist or, or profiling or anything, just want to know, is she also African-American? Yeah, yeah, yep, yep, she is. Yep. Yeah, so I mean, she she 
you know, had you where she wanted you. Emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she plays that card really well, it seems. Yeah, yeah. You know, she uh, she does. She She's a professional. She is definitely a professional. And we know that from time to time in this business, you'll run across people that are professionals, you know. And I, I happened to run across one of my very first property in Detroit. But for me, it did not stop me. It didn't put that sour taste in my mouth of, you know what, I'm never going to buy in Detroit again. It just made me, made me say, okay, you know what, I just need to buy better. Right. You know, like I said. So then your next property now is, is way better, right? You bought it for, what, 7000 a piece? So let's see. So actually I bought, I bought one other property after that one. My brother and I, we went in as partners on that property. Okay. Uh, we bought that one for about twenty. And that one has a great tenant in it, no problems with that tenant. And that one, you know, had a tenant in place also. And then the next one after that, I bought from my contractor, who's just the, I mean, I've, I've never had a, do you remember Jose, the contractor that Tim had? Uh-huh. So my contract in Detroit is far better than Jose. And not only just in prices, but he's better just in like, he's, a, he's just an overall good person. You know, he's a, he's a genuine good person, you know. So, so I bought that, bring up the top a little bit, but I bought that second house, you know, my brother. And then I bought the, the third house from my contractor. He, he told me about this house and it's a, it's a nice house, nice house, nice neighborhood. So he told me about that one. So I bought that one. And then I bought two more at the auction. So then the two I bought at the auction, bought one for 7,000, the other one I bought for 10,000. Wow, amazing. And then yeah. that kind of prices. Yeah. What auction yeah. is it? So it's the, uh, it's the Detroit tax auction. So they have that every year. It is in uh, September. So they have the first auction in September. Okay. And then they have the second auction in October. Oh, so? Okay. And it's then coming up. Yeah, yep. So in that second auction, what I was told is in that second auction, things that didn't sell in the first auction, they start at 500 bucks. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, when you look at prices that we have here in Colorado and some of the prices and some of the other places out west, you know, 500 bucks for a house. I mean, you know, that thing could burn down and you have the land that you bought for 500 bucks. You know, it's a win. To me, it's a win, you know. Just to play this out, you know, may not yeah. happen. What's your replacement cost on your insurance policy for, for those houses? So I have, I think it's 40... No, 50 grand. So I have 50 grand insurance policy. So you can basically, yeah. it's so you can um, have the house, you know, burn down. You you still make 30,000 on the flip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not a flip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then that's another thing, too. You know what? So Detroit's still trying to rebound. They're still trying to come back, but the city's not. The city's changing. You know, it is definitely changing. What What are you seeing there now? What's improving and what businesses are coming there? So Google's there. They have an office downtown that I actually got to see when I was out there last in August. Uh, beautiful. I mean, beautiful office. Uh, Microsoft has an office downtown. And, then, you know, like I said, they're just trying to bring in more tech. They're doing a lot of remodeling the whole downtown area. You know, that area is changing. So... I believe what their idea is, is to start downtown and fix all that up and then kind of spread out from there. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because from my understanding, from the people that I talked to that was there, downtown was just a place you did not want to be. You know, you did not want to be there. 
And uh, when I was there, man, I mean, you know, I had fun there, you know, hanging out downtown, you know, walking around downtown. It reminded me a lot of downtown Denver is what it reminded me of. You know, they got the casinos down there, um, you know, and all the sport team, sports teams are downtown, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like kind of like how they are in Denver. So it reminded me of that. And I, 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 I like that. I like that the sports teams are downtown. I think that attracts people. I think it attracts businesses. All right. So what's your plan now for these two properties that you just picked up from auction? So my plan now, um, one of them, I believe I'll do a Airbnb on it. So I bought this thing for 7000 You know, I'll get it all nice and spiffy and, and Airbnb it. The other one, I'll rent it out. So the one that I'll... So they're all in this in the 48219 zip code. I really like that zip code. I think that zip code is going to be one that's going to be changing. I met with a guy by accident when I was out there. His name's um, John George, and uh, he runs Blight, Bus- Blight Busters. And I guess he's been doing it for like 30 years. But I got to, I got to meet with him. Um, I got to go into his store, to his shop, his coffee shop, and that zip code. And it's, it's a, I was just blown away by this building. You look at it from the outside, it, it just... It doesn't look like anything. It doesn't look like much. It just looks like a little small storefront. But then you go inside and it's this amazing building, you know, uh, just amazing. I, I can't even explain it. It's something that you just have to see yeah. with your own eyes. But I was just, I was blown away. And then from that, you know, I got to talking to one of his crew members and he was telling me what his plan was. And I was like, OK, I, I, you know, I can see that this neighborhood's changing. You know, I like the zip code. So, 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 yeah, that's my plan for those other two is to to buy and hold, to hold on to them, you know, kind of learn from my mistakes in Denver of not holding more properties, you know, when we was able to buy them at $30,000, dollars $60,000. You know what I mean? Yeah, because, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if we could have held on to, you know, those properties that we was, that we was flipping and wholesaling and, and things like that, if we could have held on to them instead of, you know, uh, selling them, you know, that's an extra million, two million dollars right now that we would have extra. Today. Yeah, easy. You know what easy. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Airbnb, that's interesting because Detroit is not like a destination city, right? Well, I mean, why do you do you see people going there? What are people going there for? So I think people would go there because of the casinos that are there. I've talked to quite a few people. They have business meetings. It's, it's crazy. They have business meetings in Detroit, you know. Because so it's so cheap? I, I'm not sure why. <laughs> Maybe that's why. <laughs> but, but yeah, I've talked to quite a few people. They have business meetings in Detroit, you know. And these are people from different industries. Salespeople uh, to superintendents, you know. It's just, and they have business meetings in Detroit. It's very interesting. And that's what I think. And, and when I was in, so what also gave me that idea was when I flew into Detroit, you know, they had the writings on the, to give you directions and things like that. You know, the writing, you know, was in English. And I think we talked about this, but it was also in um, Japanese, you know, so that, so that, that, that struck me as interesting that, you know, that there must be a lot of Japanese people coming over to Detroit. I'm not sure what they're doing there. They're their own business or they're, they're, they know something touring or, or yeah. <laughs> or, or they could be you know, working for um, Toyota or Honda. You know? That's I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that struck me as interesting, you know, seeing that right in there, and I was like, oh, okay, so 
you know, there, there's people coming here from Japan, obviously. Quite a few people, if you're going to put that in order to have the directions on the signs in the airport, that means that you have to have quite a few people coming there. Right, yeah. So now, you know, let's, let's talk about your your plan in Detroit for a little bit here. Obviously, they're trying to bring, bring tech into the city. They're trying to make Detroit, for lack of a better word, great again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to see, you know, there are a lot of downsides to investing in these Detroit also, such as crimes, such as hard eviction law. You know, you've been dealing with this lady for a long, long time. Yep. So this is not a fast play at all. This is more of a long-term game for you. It is. It is. So it's, it's a com- I guess it's a combination of both. So... So let's look at the the two I just picked up at auction, right? So let's say the one at ten thousand, I'll put twenty thousand into it. Now I'm into this house for thirty. I'll rent it out for about nine hundred bucks a month. I'll make my money back in five six years or whatever. So I'll still be making money, you know. I'll still be making money. So even if even if Detroit doesn't go where I think it will go, I'll still be making a profit quickly. On I'll still be making a high return on my investment. Do you know what I mean? So, but you're right though, like, you know, but crime's coming down a little bit. Crime's coming down. Detroit used to be ranked number one. Uh, I believe they're down to like three or four now as far as crime. So they're, so they're working on the crime. The police chief there uh, is pretty good police chief. Small world. So my, my good friend from Chicago actually used to work for this police chief when he was a police chief in Cincinnati. And he was the one that told me, like, man, like this police chief will turn that city around, you know. So that kind of gave me a, a little bit of hope also. But, yeah, crime's coming down. And also Detroit is very, very tricky. You know, one of the downsides of what we're talking about, and like you asked, is uh, it's tricky because one block would be a beautiful row of houses. You literally go one block over and you have burned down houses and there are vacant houses and just lots. And then you go one block over from that. And then there's beautiful houses again. <laughs> and then you go block over. Yeah. And then you go block over from that. And then there's two houses on the whole block. You know, like it is, it's, it's something that you have to see, you know. So you have to have people on the ground that you actually trust if you're going to be investing in Detroit, because otherwise you will get burned. And like I said, you know, like I said earlier, I've, I've been fortunate with my contractor because he he's my boots on the ground and he he's also an investor. And that's the reason why he moved to Detroit, because he got burned. So he got burned because he was trying to buy there and they told him about this house. And it was, you know, they, they told me it was beautiful and things like that. And he goes out there to see it and it's not what they sold it to him as. So then from there, he's like, you know what, like I need to be here. So he moved there. And uh, then he was able to, to to do things himself, to actually see it. So if you're going to be investing in Detroit, you need to have people that you trust on the ground, you know. And So, like, to go back to my first house, my first house, I was told that, you know, the house was on a good block and that, you know, it was, you know, obviously a great tenant. And it looked like a great tenant from the rent rolls. They told me it was on a good block and... Um, you know, things like that, that. The house looked good. And, you know, I had him do a video for me. You know, we did a we did a FaceTime video of the house. And even through all that, 
they forgot to mention that this house had a massive leak in the kitchen from the roof. Just completely missed that. So I didn't ask that because I, as we walk through the house through FaceTime, I'm assuming that if you see a leak or you see a hole in the ceiling that you would tell me about that. And it, when they did it, they didn't tell me about it. So, so that's why you definitely, you need people that you trust there. And that is, that's, that's one tip that I would give if, to anybody wanting to, to buy the trade is finding people that you trust, finding those, someone that you trust that can actually look at these houses for you. You know, so for, you know, another good example is that my contractor, he, uh, uh, with these auction houses. Yeah. So I went out there, I went out there with him and we drove around, we looked at these auction houses, but then there was other ones that I wanted to see after I flew back to Colorado. So I'm on the phone with him and I'm talking to him. It's nine o'clock Colorado time. It's 11 o'clock his time. And I'm like, yeah, you know, there's two more houses, man. I want to, I'm interested in them. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go check them out. And I was like, really? He was like, yeah, man, I'm going to go right now and I'm going to go check them out. And he drove to these houses at 11 o'clock at night. Oh, wow. And checked out these houses. For yeah, man. Like, like what, what other contractor do you know, you know, like that would do things like that? You know, yeah. like those things are kind of hard to find. And he's been a good, a big help for me and my success so far in investing there. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Just like in any market, you need a good team and it started with your, your realtor, your attorney, your contractors, your boots on the ground. And you mentioned he went there at 11 p.m., right? Obviously, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's like the best time to check out a house, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's so, that is interesting that you said that because um, that was some of the feedback that he gave me on one of the houses that, he, that I sent him to. He was like, don't buy that house. He said, because I drove by there and it was just all kinds of activity going on outside that neighborhood, you know, outside that house. He was like, he said, don't buy it. He said, no, do not buy it. But so, yeah, that's funny that you said that because you're right. That is the best time because you can kind of see what's, you know, you kind of see if there's people hanging out or whatever, or if, or, or if it's quiet, if there's no one around. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, for, for those of you listening, if you are interested in, investing in the Detroit market, definitely uh, get in touch with Rod and um, you know get in touch with his team so that you don't have to do everything that he did and uh, you don't have to learn the market the way that he did and go through other painful <laughs> lessons that he did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and so that's another thing. So from this, this experience and the experience that my contractor had, I've been bouncing around ideas of trying to do things for out-of-town investors because you have a lot of people in Detroit who look at out-of-town investors. They're like, we don't want you here. We don't We don't want to, you know, we don't want out-of-town investors here because you guys are raising up the prices or whatever, you know what I mean? But they don't, They you have a lot of people there like that. But then you also have people there that are like, yeah, you know, bring your money here, fix up these neighborhoods. We want that. So because of those people that, that don't want you there, you, you need to have those those you know those good teams so part of that part of what i was thinking about doing was building something to where buy these houses fix them up i get them all certified with the city all certified you know with the lead-based paint and all that all that other good stuff and we can talk about that too later on about the you know some of the regulations that the city has as far as lead-based paint goes but you know with rentals but uh but i would get these things you know, certified 
things like that. And then I would sell them to out of town investors at a good price. And obviously where I still would make money, but where they wouldn't have to worry about a problem tenant because I have a property management because I'll, you know, I have a property management company that puts in a quality tenant. And I was even thinking about doing something like, you know, like a, a year guarantee or something like that. Like if you have any problems with this tenant or they don't pay rent, then I'll pay the rent for up to three months. But this this something that, that, that was just bouncing around and I'll, and I'll, I think I might do sometime in the future, you know, just for out of town investors because, you know, people don't, people there kind of look at us as, as a way to get money, yeah, you know, to, to take, to take money from us, you know, like, you know, you're not here, you can't see these properties. And there's so many people that's gotten burned by people that say, Oh, this is a beautiful neighborhood, beautiful house, you know, things like that. And they buy it and then they go out there and see it. And it is the only house on the block, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> yeah. definitely. Yeah. Now let's, let's plan for that. Let's, um, you know, when okay. you, I feel like it's a great idea to have a turnkey operation going in Detroit. Let's do a follow-up episode when you have it ready to go. How's that? Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Let's do That's it. That's awesome, man. Rod, thank you yeah. so much for your time today, man. I really appreciate you jumping on here. I know you have kids at home that you need to attend to. Um, <laughs> so I really, really appreciate your time here with us. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I, I appreciate you having me on as a guest. Love the episode of the Real Estate Lab podcast? Share the show with all your friends. Subscribe and give the show a five stars rating on iTunes. Until next time, have an awesome work week.